We're going to head to Toronto for today's edition of Locked on NBA. Sam Amick of The Athletic is covering it. We'll break down the series. Why, I kind of think the Raptors could win this series, and we'll see if Sam thinks I'm nuts. Plus, major disarray going on in Houston. Sam's covered the Rockets top to bottom all year long with various stories. We'll see what his take on what's going on in Houston is. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on NBA. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. From Toronto, we're joined by Sam Amick of The Athletic. Last week when we chatted, I made fun of your age. And we're going to find out when the NBA puts you in Toronto and San Francisco for two straight weeks, whether you still can hang like you did as a youngster, Sammy. David, I, I don't know that I can. going to be honest, we're, we're one night in. The, the listeners, your lockdown listeners are very savvy people. They can probably hear it in my voice. The truth serum is coming out. Uh, you know, we're one night in. We uh, had a little media party last night. The NBA was very hospitable and had a, uh, a joint at Real Sports, which is a, I don't know if you've ever been there on your Toronto trips, but it's a very cool sports bar right next to the Scotiabank Arena. And uh, good time. A lot of good media folks, good NBA folks. Masai Jerry, Raptors president. Stopped by for quite a while, so it was good stuff, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. I don't know that I can do that for the next two weeks. I'm going to have to put my my old man hat on again and and try to dial it back a little bit. Well, the finals are fun because it brings all the national and local writers all together, so there's this camaraderie element to it. And then probably, at least in my opinion, the two best cities in the league are hosting this year, so it gets even better. Um, than it, than it usually does. Uh, let's let's get into this. When you just dropped a piece on the athletic about the fact that just in this wacky year, where we've almost been running running these two parallel tracks all season long. One is what's actually happening at the moment, and then what's going to happen in the future. And there's no greater example right. of that than Toronto. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's really unique. Even all the different free agency situations. That I've covered, you know, the part that strikes me about Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors is that, you know, they are in the middle of this epic run, uh, unprecedented run for them. Obviously, the first time in the NBA Finals. Kawhi, you know, having load management all season long and finding a way to, to kind of make sure that he doesn't break down like he did in San Antonio. And then all of a sudden, you know, them being the best guy in the playoffs. Um, but then even with all the accomplishments, and I think in a lot of other situations, you know, this type of thing, like if, if I don't know what a good example is, but if Kevin, well, if Kevin Durant ironically had gotten to the NBA Finals again with the Oklahoma City Thunder back in uh, 2016, you know, then he probably would have stuck around. Usually if you have this much success, then that will determine this free agency fate. And what I wrote about was that, for one, I don't think that's the case at all with Kawhi. I think it's still very possible that he leaves even if they win the title. And then for two, um, to what you were referencing in the column, is the Clippers specifically managed to, to find a way to, to be in the conversation in the middle of these finals. Doc Rivers, Clippers coach, strategically decides to go on ESPN two nights ago and talk about the finals and makes these comments about Kawhi being the closest thing that we have in the league to Michael Jordan, and you know, it's it. Listen, we're we're weeks away at this point from the official recruiting period 
But as I kind of got into in that story, you know, yet again, we are reminded that, you know, recruiting began quite a while ago. The thing that strikes me a little bit about Durant, oh, excuse me, about Kawhi in contrast to Durant and some of the other free agents in the recent years is he actually seems totally comfortable because I actually think he has no tie to the city he's playing for, right? Like all these others, whether it's right. Chris Bosh in Toronto the first time or Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City or Gordon Hayward in Utah, like they've actually been there long enough. They have some connection and they realize they're breaking some people's hearts and that they're, that they're le- you know, they're leaving a legacy. Like, Actually, Kawhi just can kind of come in and be like, yeah, I gave you an NBA Finals and I'm out. Like, it's good. And there's, right, right. Well, it feels to me as though there's this ahead, kind of sorry. calmness to it. No, there is. I mean, I think for sure. But, the, you know, the examples you cited are well chronicled. Um, and, shoot, I use the Duran example. Not to put salt in the wound, but if, if the Jazz had, you know, gotten to the NBA Finals with Gordon Hayward, I hope he probably doesn't go anywhere. And it was emotional and it was – you know, have that connectivity uh, that this one just simply doesn't have. I mean, it's, you know, like always, we don't root for any outcome. I will admit I'm fascinated by the possibility that, let's say he does leave. Let's say he goes to the Clippers. Let's say they shock the world and, and they beat the Warriors in this series and they win the title. It'll be, that would be one of the most interesting occasional reunions. You know, once a year, he would come back to Toronto and these fans, I think, would give him a standing ovation uh, and, and just go crazy for him and just say, all right, thanks for the memories, you know. And Masai Ujiri would, uh, with good reason, I mean, I think he already should be roundly praised for making the trade, independent of what Kawhi does. Um, they've improved the optics of the organization. I think they've elevated the way that they're perceived. You know, I think it helps them down the road with other players. Um, you know, but again, the, the root of that is the fact that you know, it doesn't have that that uh, that tie-in that the, the Gordons and the Durants and guys like that had in the past. All right, you just said if they shock the world. Have I had too much time to think about it? Because I don't think it's a shock the uh, world. No, I mean, well, you're a smart basketball dude, but I think, um, and so I think for you it's not shock the world. It's If you break it down in terms of just the game in a vacuum, then no, it wouldn't be a shock. But it is, you know, it is the Warriors. And that's the part that they're going to have to fight through and cut through and get through is that it is a dynasty team that has been here before. And obviously not, you know, having Kevin Durant is a disadvantage schematically. I think it's an advantage psychologically because they have something to prove, which is something they have not, you know, been able to say for quite some time now. They've spent the last couple of years you know, essentially trying to not embarrass themselves because the expectations were so high. They wanted to meet those expectations, which were nothing short of winning it every single year. Now they, I think, view themselves as underdogs, like true or not, that's the way they're looking at this situation. And that takes them to another level. I mean, Draymond Green at Media Day talking about greatness, you know, waxing poetic about the way he's wired. Like these dudes are coming you know, with a level of ferocity that was not there at the beginning of these playoffs. And I think the Raptors are going to have a lot to do with Okay, so when, the one thing I look at and is the Raptors, to me, are built in a manner to defend the Warriors better than any team other than maybe last year's Rockets, which pushed them to Game 7. But between Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard 
And if OG can play and Pascal Siakam, like uh, they can run a lot of different guys at Clay and Steph. And frankly, the one that I'm most interested in is Clay. Because if you slow down Clay and get him off his game, it really changes who the Warriors are. No, absolutely. I mean, they have, you and I have you know, been using this term all the way through the playoffs. They have bodies. They have really capable defensive bodies to throw at Clay, to throw at the other wings, you know, and, and they can they can chase Steph around. I mean, I think the one guy I don't think you mentioned is, is Kyle Lowry, and he's certainly a focal point defensively because, you know, what is it going to do to him if he has to, to get the Damian Lillard treatment and chase Steph through five screens and get, you know, kind of worn ragged doing that and then have to run the offense on the other side. Obviously, they play through Kawhi quite a bit, but Kyle was good in the conference finals, and they need him to be really good again. And I think, you know, that's for uh, Ron Adams, the Warriors defensive guru on their coaching staff, and the rest of those guys. I mean, that's going to be the way they attack this thing. But Danny Green is a problem defensively. You know, Siakam is a problem for Draymond. He's a pretty good matchup. You know, Marcus All is the other one who, as great as he has been, who the Warriors are certainly going to try to play off the floor. Um, you know, get him out in space and see what they can do. You know, a lot of Kavon Looney in terms of uh, the other side. A lot, you know, there's so much focus on DeMarcus Cousins being, you know, likely ready to play. Um, I don't think he's going to play that much. I think Steve Kerr, you know, has loved what Looney has done in this last little stretch, and, and that's how they'll go at it. But you're right. I mean, the Raptors defensively, you know, they just shut down the, the likely MVP in Giannis and found a way to, to solve that puzzle, and, you know, we'll see if they can solve this one. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com. Get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. Sam Amick of The Athletic just made a very interesting comment. We'll touch on that when we continue. On Locked On NBA, remember Locked On Raptors and Locked On Warriors are there for you with the local experts covering the NBA Finals every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. You've done this long enough that every now and then there's these comments you think are a little strange and you have to realize what the context was. I thought that the Kayvon Looney comments by Steve Kerr uh, the other day about he's a core piece, I thought was the precursor to, okay, I'm going to have to deal with the DeMarcus Cousins issue, but I'm going to set the tone of this conversation by having Looney be talked about as a key core piece to the franchise so that when he's playing ahead of DeMarcus in the finals, people don't freak out. Am I over-reading what Kurt was doing, or was that exactly what Kurt was doing? That's exactly what Kurt was doing. I made a comment yesterday, maybe it's a reach, but it was uh, talking on the Warriors home radio station in San Francisco um, and said that if you could have a hypothetical scenario where you told Steve Kerr you know, you can make a deal with the devil, and I will guarantee you right now that uh, that you can, you're going to win this title, but you are not going to play DeMarcus Cousins, and you're not going to play Kevin Durant, and you're going to have to deal with the consequences that comes with insulting them along the way. Like, I think Steve might do it. The, the value of a championship, even as many as he has won as a coach and a player, is not lost on him. And he will, I think... Uh, to your question about Cousins, he's going to do just simply whatever he deems necessary, uh, coaching-wise, to to get this job done. 
And, uh, you know, the DeMarcus thing is somewhat uncomfortable. You know, DeMarcus has worked hard to get back. He was not expected to be ready. Now he is. But even at his best, he's a tricky matchup in this series. I mean, if he was at his best, they certainly would use him and need him. But he's coming off a quad tear. Somebody the other day showed me a picture of the moment that that injury happened. And if you zoom in on the the quad itself, it's, I mean, it's really gross, but you can see like the muscles contorting and you can see what happened within the leg. And it just kind of underscored like the idea that let's not forget what this guy just did to his body. And it's the second major leg injury that he's had in you know a short amount of time. That's just not the type of, of kind of profile that you want to be counting on uh, at this stage. And so, yeah, I think your, your kind of interpretation of Steve's comments is right on. He's been doing that a lot. And it's also genuine because I tell you, having talked to some of the Rockets people, uh, you know, in the wake of their season coming to a pretty abrupt end against the Warriors, um, it, it sounds funny, but if they pick like a low-key MVP on the Warriors side in terms of like the reasons that they are no longer playing, they might pick Kevon Looney. You know, he just kicked Clint Capella's butt and played him, you know, off the floor in the kind of way that Houston couldn't afford, you know, to have happen. And, and that's really where Kevon's value started to, to skyrocket. We'll talk more about the Rockets coming up in the third segment today as there's just feels like either a organized plan or implosion taking place. I can't figure out which. We'll discuss that continue with Sam who's been involved with the Rockets all season. I think there's something here that is not being talked about. And maybe it's just me digging into numbers and being my numbers guy. But I I keep hearing this discussion about transition and the Warriors running. So the Raptors are the number one transition team in the NBA, not the Warriors. The Warriors are the number one half-court team in the NBA. And I think that's an interesting thing here. If there's a flaw of the Warriors during the regular season and understanding it could be different with them, is they're not good in transition defense. They were the 16th-ranked transition defense in the NBA, and the, the Raptors are the ones that can, could run this series, I think. And they're the fastest team I saw a year by, um, by they, when they are healthy and long and athletic and going, they're, they were crazy fast the two games we saw them this year. So I think that's a really interesting part of this is that I think the Raptors are the transition team in this series. No, I'm with you, um, and, yeah, and I agree with everything you said about you know the the Warriors defensively. Uh, I forget it actually might have been Mike D'Antoni who had made this comment just in general about the Warriors defense, and you know he was no disrespect to them on the kind of the, the on the overall the collective, but he had said after that series that in the half court they're they're lethal uh, defensively once they get. You know, their their heels in the ground. They do what they do, and Draymond is a free safety, and he's wreaking havoc all over the place, and they know what they're doing. But the transition is a little more dicey, and that is where, I mean, if you, you wanted to kind of, you know, kind of preview tonight, game one, I mean, that's what Toronto's got to do to punch him in the mouth is to come out and win the transition battle and stay away from that Warriors half-court defense. And, you know, in, and even – you know, just kind of get it done that way. So, no, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, we are, I think part of what you're also highlighting is that even those of us who are covering this all the time, I mean, we're still overlooking Toronto and what they're capable of. And even admittedly, maybe 
me from the standpoint that, like you, I'm West Coast centric. I watch these guys all the time, but you don't see it and feel it and breathe it, you know, in person nearly as often as I do the Warriors. So uh, they, I mean, they're stacked, man. They got a great roster. I mean, last night at that little media gathering that I was talking about, I mean, sitting there talking to Masai about his team, I was kind of reflecting on his story and how, you know, he comes from the Denver Nuggets and and tries to build this thing. And he he, uh, comes in here and and slowly retools the roster and obviously pulls the trigger on the Kawhi trade with DeMar DeRozan. But the way that he's built this, you know, finding Pascal at 27 in the draft and uh, all the other pieces, I mean, they're deep. Um, they've gotten here by being bold and, you know, that's very possibly going to showcase itself in this series and surprise a lot of people. It's interesting. You, you bring up Pascal, uh, with the draft coming right around the corner, the Draymond Pascal Siakam finds by these two franchises are the keys to, you know, as great as staff and clay were, which were great draft picks also, and as, as great as picking up Kyle Lowry and trading for him. Um, and, and then obviously the Kawhi deal, or in really the case of drafting DeMar DeRozan ninth, which eventually leads to Kawhi, it's these these two incredible finds at 27 and 30, whatever, in the NBA draft that were these hybrid players whose games on those draft nights didn't really fit where the NBA is, and their, the NBA has evolved into both of their games to allow their strengths to show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you 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 know the the value from a metric standpoint at that point of the draft, you know, and, and you're talking late. Uh, well, I'm not forgetting what number Draymond was. I think he was late 30, first, thirty three or thirty something. They, yeah, yeah. The, Warriors, the, the Warriors took him. Yeah. The Warriors took two players before him in that draft. They took they took Harrison Barnes and they took Festus Azili. And Azili is the one that you know that, that always gets kind of brought up uh, fairly by folks who chuckle at, you know, let me listen, the Warriors have been incredible, but when Joe Lacob famously said that they were light years ahead of the competition in that New York Times interview, you know, light years doesn't draft Azili before Draymond Green. Sometimes you get lucky. And, you know, in this case, uh, I mean, you know, at least they didn't pass Draymond three times in the same draft. Nobody nobody had him in the lottery, so that that's excusable. But at least they didn't pass him twice, you know, when it got to the later stages. But, yeah, I mean, He's been phenomenal, and Siakam is, is a guy who, in the context of Kawhi and his free agency, um, Siakam is an interesting one because, you know, I think it matters. This is not a determining factor, but it matters. You know, how does Kawhi truly perceive Siakam as a guy, you know, as a fellow co-star that, that you know maybe you're a little reticent to leave behind, and you know how good does he think he's gonna? be as a guy that he can maybe win championships with because Siakam is now, you talking about Steve Kerr and that phrase of foundational pieces. I mean, Pascal is going to be that for this squad, you know, regardless of what Kawhi does. All right, here's my script of the Raptors win the series. They are able to play in transition. Kawhi has a good half-court series, and the Warriors lose a game early and then start to struggle with the integration of Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins, and it discombobulates them. Uh, crazy, possible, unlikely all those things come together? What's your thought? Uh, no, very possible. Uh, it's funny, myself included, the media is very reluctant to pick the Raptors. I don't know, like, this stuff doesn't truly matter. Like, who cares if 
I've sat here and told you the Raptors are going to win, and then they didn't. All it is is a prediction. But I think in, in my circles that I've been running in, uh, I think you're the first media member that I've spoken to directly who is picking Toronto. And I don't know if that's the championship pedigree that, that I've talked about earlier or what it is, but again, schematically, what you're saying makes perfect sense. So, no, it's not crazy. I think that that's a pretty plausible scenario that could end up happening. The transition stuff is a big deal, and, and the integration of those guys could absolutely be a nightmare. You know, it's, it's from a free agency standpoint, it's so interesting. You know, we talked about Kawhi, and the unique part about Kawhi's situation to me, I said this earlier, is that, you know, I, I don't think it matters what happens in the finals. I truly don't. I think they can win the finals and he still leads. With Kevin Durant, there are still multiple scenarios in place that I think could have an impact on how he feels about his Warriors experience and whether or not he decides to come back. So the stuff you're talking about is, let's say, you know, the Warriors get one of these games in Toronto. Uh, they go home. They win game three. You know, they're up 2-1. And Kevin comes back and it doesn't go well. And now all of a sudden... It's a simplistic narrative that he messed it up. Uh, they were ahead when he came back. They end up going on to lose the series. You know, he takes a flack, the scrutiny gets under his skin, and he says, you know, all right, enough of this. I'm out of here. So, I mean, that's, that is, again, the, the unique part of, of this finals that I think uh, it could kind of set it apart. Well, the other one is they win the two games in Toronto and basically win it before he even comes back, and then he can't come back because they've won a title without him. Right, right. Uh, it's all interesting. Absolutely. Uh, in so many, in so many different ways. Here, here's my quick thought on on why I, I feel like the narrative's off on this series. Actually, I'll give my thought on why I think the narrative is off on the series uh, when we come back here and after a quick step away, and uh, then the Rockets. What is going on in Houston? Thanks to Untuck It for its support of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you're looking for a great Father's Day idea, the air shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked, feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com promo code. NBA to get 20% off. And then maybe as just a thank you for all of Sam's great work during the season, I'll get him a Grip 6 belt. Grip 6, ultra lightweight, no holes, no flaps. Great for Father's Day. Go to Grip6.com, Grip6.com slash lock. Grip6.com slash lock. Here's where I think the narrative on the finals is off. Because the Warriors swept Portland last, that's our last feeling. The truth is the Western Conference Finals was against the Rockets. And so if the Warriors were coming off a six-game series against the Rockets where they trailed a bunch and came from behind and won the series, and Toronto was coming off a six-game series against Milwaukee, who's probably better than Houston, I think it would feel very differently than it does right now. But I think we're all being impacted by the recency bias that the Warriors were that good in the Western Conference Finals, but that was not a Western Conference Finals. Houston was the second-best team in the West this year. Yeah, I don't disagree, which is another way of saying I agree. Um, I think that, I mean, listen, I just, I mean, I mean, I respect what Portland did this season. They had a really, really good year based on their expectations, based on Yusuf Nurkic getting hurt, uh, all the other stuff that went on with their team, Paul Allen passing away. But I listened to C.J. McCollum's podcast on the flight out here, uh, and it's, it's, you know, the, the hoop heads out there haven't listened to it. It's really good. It's called the Pull Up Podcast. And, um, it struck me like the, this is going to sound like a slight. I'm not saying it is at all, but the level of pride that CJ took in the season with good reason 
um, it was really easy to hear in his voice as he talked about their season. But it was a little strange only because it was also a, a star player, you know, a very good player who was fresh off of a sweep. And typically, you know, no matter the context, a sweep is just something that pro athletes, you know, they, they kind of revile and, and they, they, you know, it's hard to get through. And these guys got swept. And it didn't really phase them because, A, they weren't supposed to get to the conference final, and then, B, it was the Warriors. And so, to your point, I mean, yeah, it's you had two different squads on two different levels in that series as opposed to the second round when it was this rivalry that we've been watching for quite some time. What is your take on what's taking place in Houston? Uh, it's definitely weird. It's not shocking at all. I mean, listen, I was standing right there the night after game six in Houston when Tillman Fertitta, who let's not forget is, you know, only a couple of years into being an NBA owner. And it just, every single time there's a new owner, they end up, they have to kind of find their wings as owners, figure out how this game works, figure out their identity and their voice. And Tillman I thought was out over his skis a little bit with some of his post game six commentary, just kind of a, a real need to be heard and to, to announce to the world that this is not acceptable. And even the, the visceral language he used kind of stuck in my head where he says, you know, in game five, we, you can't just take shots and try to win. You know, you got to step on our throat. And, and then you could tell that he was contemplating making the next comment. And he did. And he said, you got to slit their throat. And it's like, well, okay, calm down. It's like, you know, and next thing you know, there's kind of, you know, there's, there's kind of heads rolling, so to speak in Rocketland. Um, what I make of it is I was told that the assistant coaching moves uh, are not as shocking to Mike D'Antoni as some have made it out to be. Doesn't say, it doesn't mean that he's not disappointed by some of them. Uh, you know, he's, let's be honest, he's not going to truly say what he thinks of every single one. I mean, change does sometimes happen, so I don't know if some of them he might have green-lighted. Uh, but in the meetings that took place, days after their season, this was immediately discussed as a, a way to try to change it up. Uh, you can agree or disagree, but it was not the, like at first, like a lot of other people, I thought it was just kind of, you know, cutting Mike's legs out uh, without his knowledge and maybe pushing him out the door. Uh, I don't think it's that. Um, that being said, I still don't know for sure if, if he's going to be the guy going forward. They, uh, they continue to talk about an extension, and it has not happened yet. And I think there's a, a little bit of a, a uncomfortable back and forth taking place where he's a guy that's accomplished a lot and wants to get compensated. And Tillman is a guy who, you know, if the Rockets had won a championship, he would be writing a blank check for Mike, but they didn't. And that's what Tillman wants. And so, you know, they're trying to find that middle ground. Four coaches have left. Jeff Bazilic, who was the defensive guru who left, they brought back. Roy Rogers has been with Mike a long time. A video coordinator and Irv Roland, who was James Harden's workout guy. Like, when the Jazz played the Rockets in the playoffs, the Jazz shot around at 11 because Mike doesn't do shoot-arounds, but James does shoot-arounds. And James Harden did his own shoot-around from 10 to 11 every day before the game with Irv Roland, and he just got let go. Which of the four is the most surprising to you to not be back for Houston? Probably Irv. Um, the dynamic you're talking about is pretty real. I don't know if there's intel there that I'm just not aware of. 
based on the relationship, but like everybody else, what it makes you think is it's just it's it's counterintuitive from this standpoint. The Rockets take great pride in and kind of shamelessly empowering their stars. Uh, Daryl Morey will sit there and, and tell you that he just he's not afraid to admit that yes, when they talk about trades, they will get James's opinion, they'll get Chris's opinion. Um, they they are inclusive, and so in that vein, how could you cut a guy like Irv Roland and conceivably send a message to James that what he cares about doesn't matter? Now I don't know if I mean this is where our jobs get hard, right? Because like just hypothetically there is a chance that maybe Irvin James got sideways and, you know, and James is happy that he's gone. I, you know, I'm, I'm, again, right. for anybody who might aggregate this stuff, that's completely speculative. I've not had anybody try to tell me that, but, um, but yeah, I would probably say Irv, you know, the, the Delic thing, Jeff is their defensive guru. You know, he, he didn't return early in the season. They bring him back a few months in with a hefty pay raise, but his contract was up at the summertime, I don't know if Tillman just didn't want to cut another big check for him or, uh, I mean, that one in the coaching community drew the most attention because even I've talked to several Warriors people who just sat there and they were just like, man, like their defense, like almost figured us out. You know, like they really had high praise for the work that, that Jeff had a lot to do with. And they were really more surprised by the Bizdelic move than any other. Uh, final question on the Rockets. So Chris Paul was in L.A. for all those years, and we heard the whole time that the team didn't get along and that there were all sorts of problems and they couldn't practice and da-da-da, and they all told us it wasn't true, and then Chris Paul left, and it was abundantly clear that all those things were wildly true. Um, and now we have him and James Harden having a fight in Game 6, and I always thought it was interesting. This is totally speculative, but I thought it was interesting that the two guys that had played with Chris Paul in the past didn't return for their second year with Chris Paul in Houston uh, in Trevor Rees and Luke Bamute. Um, so is there anything here where we put this on Chris Paul that there's some level of dysfunction in Houston and here's Chris Paul in the middle of it again? I mean, there's some smoke there and I, I just can't get it over the finish line to kind of explain the fire. You know, you know, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's all fair. Those are fair dots to connect. And he is a very tough personality who, you know, I mean, listen, he's the head of the players union, the player rep and the president, who made sure that when he signed his latest deal, you know, he got every single penny. And, I mean, it is what it is. Like, his choice, I mean, you know, every guy has got the right to go get what's coming to them. But there were scenarios in place in which if he had decided to do what some of the Warriors people have done in the past and take a cut, they would have had far greater chances of keeping people like Trevor and Luke. So say, you know, kind of think of that, what you will. Um, the, the, the stuff with James and Chris, you know, I mean, I've talked to, to Mike D'Antoni about it. He tried to downplay it, but that's also Mike's role. You know, he's got to keep everything kind of in-house and keep everything kosher. So, no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. And even from a, uh, a basketball perspective, I've always wondered if Chris was truly okay with the way, you know, this Houston thing had evolved for him individually, because when they got him, the whole narrative was, 
James is getting tired at the end of every playoff run, and we need a guy to take some of the load off his plate. And next thing you know, James's usage rate goes up, even when he has Chris. And you know, Chris is playing a much more complimentary role than uh, than I ever envisioned when he came to Houston. So, I mean, it's Chris's. You know, his history kind of is what it is. Sam Amick, the athletic, great piece also on the one assistant coach that was with Cleveland's now with Toronto. Phil Handy, I think is his name, uh, in the athletic yep. catch. All of that with Sam. Cover, great coverage of the NBA Finals taking place there. Thanks so much for your time. As always, here on Locked on NBA. Pleasure to have you on each week, and we'll talk to you throughout the Finals. You got it, my friends. Sorry to, to come off and give you the, the NBA Finals fatigue version, but I made it I through. Like it. Thanks, Tom. I'm proud of you, and if, if you're still up and rolling next week, I'll, I'll be super impressed. <laughs> we'll compare the two, uh, the, the two episodes and see, uh, see how I'm feeling. He's, Thanks, brother. He's Sam Amick. Go to grip6.com slash lock and get your special deals for Father's Day's untuckit.com NBA promo code is your promo code and 20% off. Have a great day.